Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the Pastor's Table. I'm Tara Beth Leach. And I am Mark Quanstrom. And uh, we've been doing this podcast for a year. Almost a year. I cannot uh, believe it. I know. Every week, mm-hmm. we determined early on we we're going <laughs> to do week. a weekly episode. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what. No matter what. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been able to do that. But we thought we might end the year by uh, just having conversations with some of the listeners who have written in. Right, right. We... We love the letters that come in. They're very compelling. Sometimes they're very raw. and But I think that they all have just such a common uh, theme mm-hmm. in a lot of these letters and that they are a picture of the swings, the ups and the downs and the jolts of ministry. And today we have Michael Birchfield mm-hmm. uh, with us who wrote in, oh, probably three or four months ago, um, in response to the podcast, Why Stay? Yep. And he had uh, such a, uh, we felt a compelling story. Mm-hmm. We wanted to talk to him about mm-hmm. it. So welcome. Is it Mike or Michael? Uh, either one, but either one. Mike's, Mike's sometimes easier. So that's Mike's fine. fine. Okay. Welcome, Mike. Yeah. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, mm-hmm. your call, how it is you're a follower of Jesus Christ? We'll just start there. We'll start very easy. Okay. Um, how it is you are in ministry? All righty. Well, so I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ way back in 1970. And the way that that happened was um, my parents began to attend a Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And we'd been in a church where the gospel was never taught or preached or anything like that. And so hearing the good news about Jesus Christ was new to me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was only a matter of time before I came to know the Lord. I put hmm. my faith in Jesus. And the interesting thing is 1970 was right on the end of the Jesus movement. Right. And so even though the Jesus movement, if I remember my history right, centered in California, um, it actually swept the country. And so I came to know Christ. My friends did quite a number of people my age. I was in the 10th grade at the time. Um, And so I finished my high school there at that church. And then after high school, I went into the military for an enlistment and came out and then went to a Bible college. And I never thought that I would be a pastor at all. That was never in my plan. Um, I actually went to Bible college to learn more about Christ and more about the scriptures and went to work for Federal Express. And so... Because you're in Memphis. Because I was in Memphis. That's sure. right. Federal Express is there. <laughs> that's right. That's their hub. That's mm-hmm. it. And uh, yeah, so I live in California now. People ask me how I came to California and they always say, well, I came via FedEx and they always laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, what is- that's actually... It's actually part of the story. Yeah. Wow. So, so that was in tra- 1981. Yeah. You were transferred to California by FedEx. Mm. That's correct. Evidently. Okay. Mm. So you, you're you out there. Uh, you're you're not a pastor yet in 1981. Not a pastor. 
All right. Had no aspir- had no aspiration to being a pastor. All right. Got involved in a church that had a strong mission focus. I'd been overseas in the military. I felt the Lord leading me in that direction. And so in 1983, as a single man, I left the Bay Area of California and went to the Philippines. And I served there for five years. Um, In the course of time, I met my wife. She and I got married and we continued to serve there. But a friend of mine back here in the Bay Area became the pastor of a church, and he was looking for an associate pastor. And so he pursued my wife and I and asked if we would come on his staff. And at first we were really hesitant, Hmm. but eventually felt like that's what the Lord would have us do. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were several factors that were in play that brought us to that decision. And so our original plan was that we were going to come and be his associate for a couple of years because we were relatively newlyweds. And the counsel we got was go somewhere where you can really get your marriage on on the ground, where you're going to be the most stable. Mm -hmm. So we chose to come and take that staff position. And I started in September 1st, 1989, or not 1987, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. And I was associate pastor of missions and discipleship. But you didn't stay associate pastor. I didn't because my friend (laughs) pulled a fast one on me. And not quite 18 months after we arrived, he decided that he wasn't going to stay. And so he left the church. And he left the church under less than ideal conditions what I do not mean by that is that he left having a moral failure. He did not. All right. But he and his wife felt for spiritual, psychological reasons that it was better that they leave. Okay. And so he went on a leave of absence for three months. He started his leave of absence in March of 1989, March 5th. And the reason I remember the dates because our second son was born four days later on the ninth. Mm. Okay. Wow. And I was the pulpit supply in the interim as the associate pastor. And he contacted me in May of that same year and said, we need to meet. And so I went and met him in a town halfway in between where he was and I was. And the first thing he said after we sat down was, I'm not coming back. Hmm. Well, and the first thing, (laughs) yeah. The first thing I said after that was, why not? You brought my wife and I all the way around the world to serve with you, and you're leaving? Correct. And he said, yeah, I'm not coming back. And so he didn't come back. And then the elders asked if we would stay and if I would be the lead pastor. And so I became the lead pastor in May of 1989. Hmm. So, So you weren't called to be the lead pastor until you were called to be the lead pastor. That's right. So <laughs> is that is that how that works? I thought you had to have a call to be a lead pastor before you took the lead pastor position. No, you got an invitation to be a lead pastor and then discerned it was your call. Is that <laughs> kind of sorta. Kind of sorta. That's fair. That's fair. So, okay. so, you want to clarify yeah, let, it? Yeah, let me let me give some clarification. So I felt like the call of God on my life was into missions, overseas okay. missions. All right. And the way that that came about was that in the church I attended out here, 
they had a missions program and they were always encouraging people to pray about whether God would have them go right. and serve the Lord overseas. And so as I prayed about it, a desire to do that arose and an opportunity to do that arose that I did not seek out. Uh-huh. I was contacted actually by our mission pastor and he asked me if I would be open to going and serving in Asia. And so I said, well, I've been praying about that, and I kind of have a desire to do that, but tell me more. And so he explained that there was a short-term opportunity for three to four weeks in the Philippines. Well, I responded to him and said, that's interesting, but that's a little bit too long for a short term because I'm secure in my job. Right. And so... I don't think I would want to do that. And so he said, well, what if we said, how about six months to two years? And that surprised me. So I asked him to tell me more. And what had happened was this fellow from the Philippines, a mission leader, had come by the church and was asking if they had workers to send short-term or long-term. And so he offered me a longer-term possibility. All right. And so I said, I'll pray about it. I did pray about it. He contacted me a few weeks later and said, are you serious? Are you ready to go? And I said, well, let's talk. And so we talked and I was a little bit surprised that he's trying to recruit me. And he looked at me at one point in our conversation and said to me, um, are you serious about what I'm talking to you about? I guess I'd given him the impression that maybe I was a little bit flippant about it. And I remember telling him, I'm serious. It's just hard for me to grasp that you're serious <laughs> because of some experiences I'd had prior in churches and all. He goes, we're really serious. And if you want to go for six months to two years, we'll send you. <laughs> and so I felt like the Lord had placed the desire in my heart and then opened up the opportunity to go. Right. And because of people that knew me in the church, they were giving confirmation that I had gifts to go. And so I went to the Philippines. Hmm. Right. So, so assistant pastor, associate pastor to senior pastor, was that similar story? Well, what happened with that? When I look back on it, I tend to think that the Lord in his providence put me where he put me in order to get me where he wanted me to go. Yeah. Right. Because I never would have chosen pastoral ministry for myself. <laughs> I was just not interested. <laughs> um, so, okay, I mean, think about identif- it. There are a whole lot of folk identifying with that right there. Oh, yeah. I. When I first right. was called a minister, never going to be a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the funny thing is, so it's like the Lord opened doors incrementally. And so, okay, I got you to the missions field. Now, right. how about you go serve for an, as an associate? Right. And I'm thinking for a couple of years. Right. And so then I went and then my predecessor left and the opportunity for me to stay arose. But I have to be honest with you, uh, Mark and Turbeth, um, I never intended to stay so long, and my heart was in 
the Philippines for a few years. Yeah. And I would say I primarily said yes to staying because I didn't feel like I could leave the church in the lurch. Right. Hmm. Because his departure put it in crisis. Right. Right. And so I committed to stay. And then one thing led to another. Um, one thing led to another. How long have you been at that church? <laughs> 36 years now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> one uh, thing led to another. Yeah, one thing led yeah. to another. I go here for... I am. How did I get here 36 years? <laughs> I know. And it's like, gosh, I think it's Robert Frost has that poem, uh, the road less taken, and there's a line yeah. in there about how way leads on to way. Yeah. And that's what happened. And so the first few years I was wrestling with whether or not I should stay or not. And then just over time, the Lord gave me confirmation that he had me where he wanted me and that the mission field wouldn't be an option for me. Wow. That's kind of so, tough, though, isn't it? Lewis, a challenge for sure. Yeah. And let me just say one other thing about that. I didn't mean to. No, I think, go, Mark, go, you were going to say it. something. So, my call to the mission field had me serving with some of the poorest people in the world. All right. And then I came back to an upper middle class community. Right. And when I came back as the associate of missions and discipleship, the church staff drove me around to the areas in my community that were poor. Yeah. And I had been working with street kids and squatters in Metro Manila. And the folks that they identified with as poor, well, on a worldwide scale, and from my experience, they were pretty well off. Yeah. Wow. And so it was very hard to get into that mode. Mm -hmm. And then it's been a challenge serving in an upper middle class area in many ways, simply because of my background. Right. Uh, but the Lord's given more grace huh. and has helped out. For sure. So 36 years, is that is that the number I remember? 36? Is it 36 years at this church? Yeah, and so, so 36 so far. Right. so far. So in May, May May 5th of, of 2024 will be my 35th anniversary as uh, the lead pastor. And, and what you wrote us was that you have witnessed linear, progressive, numerical growth all 36 years. Just mm -hmm. one success after yeah. another. Right? Is that what I is that what I read? Am I misremembering? Your attendance grew, the building got bigger, bigger, giving grew, like every it's, it just picked right. off right, I mean, you know? The grass the the escalator up. town. Yes. Everybody's coming. Yeah. yeah, that's the story. But do you have a worship pastor that wears skinny jeans? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, well, you haven't arrived yet. Right. So, <laughs> that's right. That's right. The reason that uh, we're chatting with you today is because of what you described in your email. So tell us, how has it been these 36 years? 
Tell us, I mean, give us some numbers. It's really funny. Not funny. It's really, okay. it's just really, it's remarkable. relatable for many pastors. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that the congregation, when I became the lead pastor, was probably 400 ish. All right. Good sized church. And good sized church. Mm hmm. My successor had come in and stabilized the church, but there were many people in the church that had gone through multiple pastors. And so when he left, that spun a lot of them out. Okay, so the pastor that preceded you had stabilized the church, and then you came in, and when he left, a lot of the folk left as well. That's they right. Were, they were weary. They were weary of all the transition and all the changes, sounds like, and... That's oh, here right. we go again. More turnover. Yes. And, you know, Cherubeth, literally we had people say to us, we love you and Rachel. We're so glad you're here. We just can't take another pastoral transition. Yeah. Wow. And some of them we're still friends with because they're still in the community, but they just couldn't deal with it. So the church shrunk from 400-ish to about 170 people. In that like, a matter, in a yeah. matter of about six months. So it was, it was just like dropping off a cliff. And and you're saying to the Lord, "See, I told you, I'm not a senior <laughs> pastor." That's right. I never wanted this. I want. I never wanted this. Right. I'm not sure why you call me here. Right. Send me back to the mission field. I want to go back to Manila. Right. Um. But again. My wife and I prayed and talked to her father, who was a very wise um, Christian, had been a Christian mm -hmm. many years, um, sought some other counsel. And then I went to a seminar where an older pastor was talking, and Someone asked him, how do you know when you should leave a church? And his response was, well, I don't know, because I've never left. And after everybody laughed, he just gave encouragement to we younger pastors who were there. And I don't remember everything he talked about. But the one thing I do remember is that he said, look, I tell younger pastors that if you can put your roots down in one place and labor your life away, if providentially you can do it, if the people will have you purpose to do that <laughs> because it takes seven years for people to know what you're about anyway. And most young men that say, I think I want to leave, want to leave because they say their church has problems. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them every church has problems. The good thing about the church you're in is you know what the problems are. Wow. You don't know what you're going <laughs> to inherit. Never a truer statement. <laughs> right. And so I went back and told my wife about that, and we just purposed that if the Lord would allow us to stay, we would, even though we had never planned on being in this area more than two years. Right. And so we stayed. So 
the church is half the size, uh, 40% the size of it, and you just kept doing the work. We just kept doing the work. And then over time, the church grew. All right. And it grew and it grew and it reached a point. The largest congregation that it's ever been was about 803 people. Wow. Now, that would include everybody, but right. it was about 803 people. We were in three services. I was preaching most every Sunday. Um, and so that went on for a little while. And then as leaders, we began to talk, and we made some decisions that would be considered, um, I wouldn't say anti-growth, but if you want to grow numerically, these are not the decisions that you would make. So, for example, we were in three services, and we realized that the people that come to first service never met the people from third service. Right. And so it was hard on community. Right. And so we decided for the sake of having a more robust Christian community that we would discontinue our first service. Okay. And we did that. And we were thinking that the people that came to first service would go to second or third, but they didn't. They went to another church up the street that had an early service. Right. And then we made some other decisions. Um, we had a ministry that was quite robust for children. It was lay-led. And the lay people that were overseeing it couldn't do it anymore. And so we were faced with the decision, do we take it on as staff? Or do we try to find other lay people to oversee it? And if there aren't any, then we let it go away. And so we let it go away because there were no other lay people that wanted to step up at that time. So that happened. And so we lost some members over that. They didn't like the decision. Um, and without going into all the other details, there were pressures that arose in the ministry. And anytime trials arise with families and right. decisions that are made aren't popular, you might lose people. Right. And so the church shrank again, and it kept shrinking. Um, probably reached about 500. All right. And I think it, I think it shrank still. Because in our area, our, our community is very transient. Okay. We are a short commute from Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. There are lots of startups here. And so if a family moves from out of state and works for a startup, and then that startup folds, if they don't find a job quickly, they're going to have to move out of our area because it's so expensive to live here. Right. And so we lost a lot of people from moves. Right. And so it was kind of an up and down, up and down, up and down, grow, shrink, grow, shrink. And of course, I'm covering a lot of years, but then we hit the COVID years. <laughs> so... Mm -hmm. That in itself was a well. That was a that was a roller coaster ride, as I think you all know. And behind the scenes, I would imagine um, that there were moments of the dark night of the soul. I mean, thirty six years of this of the ups, the downs. Mm 
um, the doubts, the questioning, the wondering, <laughs> am I really right. called? God, are you here? Um, am I good enough? Am I not cut out for this? Uh, I, I'm just assuming because I've, I've had those moments, right? Those, mm-hmm. you know, face on the carpet, weeping. Um, right. Could you could you bring us into that a little bit? Sure, 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 sure. And Tara Beth, I, I listened to the podcast where you told your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am familiar with mm-hmm. your trajectory a little bit. And you'll be able to relate mm-hmm. to what I'm saying for sure. And I know that, Mark, you've had experiences too. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of those times, a lot of those times. Um, and it started from the get-go. Um so there were people in the church that weren't satisfied with me because I'd been brought on by my successor mm-hmm. and my successor had come in and he was not popular. There were people that didn't like my style teaching. I remember there was a couple that used to sit on the front row and I think that the husband just had it as his mission <laughs> to let me know what a bad preacher I was. <sighs> And if I looked down at him, he would roll his eyes and fake a yawn. And he came up to me after service one Sunday and said, you know, it's been a long time since I heard a good sermon. And he set it up in such a way that I thought maybe he was going to do the opposite of what he'd been doing and say something about the message. And he he said, as a matter of fact, I haven't had a good, I haven't heard a good sermon since you came. Mm. So those types of things were happening. Another fellow told me one time, you know, nobody would blame you if you left. <laughs> so you had that kind of pressure. Oh my. Um, uh, you had other people that were dissatisfied about this, that, and the other. Um, and the fortunate thing, I think, in the grace of God is that he seems to shield us for mm-hmm. periods of time. Because if that was pressure that was constant, 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 and I kind of got the feeling, Terabeth, from your story, that for you, when you went, was it uh, Paznaz or Nazpaz? Paznaz. Paznaz. I kind of got the feeling from your situation that that kind of pressure was constant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty amazed listening to your story that you stayed for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for me, those types of things have happened over the last 36 years, but never constant, never constant, Mm -hmm. never constant. There were periods of break. Um, and that enabled us to recover and recoup and things like that. In 2013, though, you did resign. I did. Right? I did. You yeah. know, there had been... Um, there had been several situations right in that period, probably from five years before moving forward, and it's like all of the trauma of that converged. Um, 
We had an elder that got sideways with the rest of the team. And there were all, we're, we had 12 people on the elder team and everyone was saying to him, brother, we feel like you're going in the wrong direction. And he took up a reproach against us and left. And he and I had been really good friends. And I reached out to him, I don't know, five to seven times after he left, and he would never meet. He's not met with me since. Um, mm -hmm. If he walked in the room today, I would throw my arms around him and hug him. He's a brother in the Lord. But he just couldn't get over some things. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go into the details of those. Right. Um we had a couple of very difficult shepherding instances that just consumed lots of hours, uh, one of which had to do with um, the sexual abuse of children. And the perpetrator who was connected to our church ended up getting sent away to prison for quite a long time. And then there was another one that happened as well. And I was just kind of in a dark, dark, dark time. And I'd been in ministry for a lot of years. Yeah. And so in 2013, I did resign. Um, I was exhausted. I was tired. Um, wasn't getting a lot of counseling support from within the congregation. Um, ultimately, got involved in a secular coaching program that helped me a lot. But I just felt like I can't do this anymore. And so I threw in the towel. I, 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 I did resign. Mm -hmm. Um and the Lord wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> what happened was, and I, I didn't intend to get emotional like this, but what happened was, after I had done that, I came down with the flu. <laughs> I was really sick. And during the sickness, I just began to think about it and pray about it. And my wife came home one night and wanted to know what I was thinking. And I was almost recovered then. I said, "Hun, I think I did the wrong thing. I think I made the wrong decision. I just don't know how to, I don't know how to walk it back. And she said, well, why don't you call Brother Jimmy? Now, Brother Jimmy was the pastor that I came to Christ under and who ordained me in the gospel ministry. He's 83 years old. He's still in the ministry. And so I called him told him what happened. He said, well, do you still have the fire in your bones to preach the word? I said, yeah. He said, do you feel like you made a bad decision? I said, yeah. He said, well, you just go to your leadership and just confess it and lay it out on the table and see what they say. And so my wife and I did that. We met with two of the elders. And the conversation initially started out with her talking to them about me and about all of the pressures and things of that nature and putting her finger on areas where we didn't feel like we had a lot of support. And then I just said, you know, it may be that it was right for me to resign my position here, but I know from the Lord that it wasn't right for me to resign and get out of ministry mm. because I'm called to this. 
And so one of the elders that is also a close friend looked at me and said, well, if you're going to stay in ministry, you're staying here. And then the other guy said, yeah, you're staying here. Because my plan, <clears throat> we make our plans, don't we? Right. My plan was get out of gospel ministry and start a, a coaching mm -hmm. business. <laughs> right. It's close, it's, right? It's, it's acceptable. Yeah, that's right. It's a it's a pseudo <clears throat> it's pseudo fulfilling of the call. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, executive coaching. And, yeah, yeah. It's like a pastor. That's right. Yeah, yeah without the heartache of a congregation. Um, <laughs> so that's what I told these brothers, and they said, "Well, if you're going to stay, you're going to stay here." Huh. And so I obviously did not have to stay here, but. I just agreed with them. And so we went back to the other leaders and shared with them. And I stayed and they adjusted my uh, schedule and responsibilities and things like that. Um, and then eventually granted a sabbatical. Now that took a while. Mm -hmm. So that was 2013-ish. I didn't take a sabbatical until 2019. Oh boy. Oh boy. <clears throat> Okay. But you resigned 10 years ago, and you're still in the church that you resigned from 10 years ago. I'm still in the church, yes. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Now, my role is changing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Which is yeah. good. I'm, I'm 69. Right. And so Why? it's time to change, I, but yeah. I would love in our next episode to talk about those next 10 years and what it means for you to stay, what it meant, and your yeah. reflections. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, the first of two parts, mm -hmm. and we're so grateful for uh, you getting emotional. I mean, this is real. This is real conversation. Mm -hmm. And so the authenticity and the pain of what you have, what you have lived through yeah. is evident. So we're grateful for that. And so, uh, folks, this is what we're doing at the end of the season is talking to pastors who... Um, have expressed uh, their own stories or told us their stories that we thought would be important for you to hear. So uh, come back next week to hear uh, the rest of Mike's story. Um, it's already been compelling. Yeah. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk to Mike frankly about <laughs> how what he shared has helped me today mm -hmm. in real ways. Mm -hmm. So uh, so next week, Mike uh, Birchfield again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, friends. And so until next time, may God continue to sustain you for the long haul. Uh, may God sustain you with the gift and the grace of this call.